Hello, campus cronies, and welcome back to Campus Crime Chronicles. I'm your host, Nicole Turner, former college professor, current college administrator, but always a true crime addict. In every episode of this podcast, I take a deep dive into some sort of true crime that occurred on a school campus or a crime that's associated with a college or university in some way. For each episode, I rate the seriousness of the crime from 1 to 5 on my very own serious crime scale, with one being completely not serious, possibly even a little humorous from time to time, to 5 being very serious. This episode is rated a 4.5. Yes, you heard that rating correctly. As y'all know by now, I don't normally do half-scale ratings. I've done that for one other case because it was just an odd story. And this one is, well, a little different too. It's another one of those stories that does involve homicide, but under what some might call extenuating circumstances. And honestly, you're probably going to be left scratching your head or maybe even questioning the justice system at the end of it. In my opinion, there were two victims in this case. There were two wrongs that clearly did not make a right. And no, I'm not sure justice has been served, even though there was a court trial and a verdict. But all of that is just my opinion. So, similar to other controversial stories I've done in the past, I'm going to do my best to simply present the facts of the story, and I'll leave it up to you, the listeners, to draw your own conclusions and form your own opinions. This episode is titled, Tinder Match Gone Wrong. So, without further ado, let's get started. April of 2021, 18-year-old Virginia Tech student and football player Issa Memon Atute swiped right on the Tinder profile of Miss Angie Renee, who presented themselves as a 28-year-old woman in Blacksburg, Virginia. A lot of people who, you know, are into 18-year-old young men would most likely consider Atute a catch in his own right. I mean, after all, according to his 24-7 sports profile, he stands at 6 feet 3 inches tall and he weighs 205 pounds. In 2021, ESPN classified him as a three-star football recruit from Cox High School in Virginia Beach. By the spring of 2021, Atute had accepted an offer to play football at Virginia Tech, and he was listed on the roster as a freshman linebacker. On the evening of April 10, 2021, after matching on the popular dating app Tinder, Atute proceeded to go to Angie's Blacksburg apartment after being invited over. If you aren't familiar with Tinder, although it is officially classified as an online dating and geosocial networking application, a lot of people consider it to be the unofficial official hookup app. And in this case, that's exactly what it was being used for. According to the reporting of WFXR, a Fox station in Virginia, the initial message exchange between Atute and Angie went like this. And FYI, excuse the profanity ahead of time, but it went like this. 
Atute, yo. Angie, hi. Atute, trying to meet. Angie, yeah, DTF, unfortunately at work right now. Hit me up with I'm out. So, side note, pretty sure that with really was supposed to say when I'm out. And DTF, for those of you guys who are unfamiliar with that, is just text language for down to fuck. And so Atute replied, I'm going to be with my friend and my friend can slide. Angie, I'll fuck both of you. I'll do one at a time. At work right now. Atute, okay, I will. When are you going to be home? Angie, 10 p.m. Atute, send more pics of yourself. When Atute took Angie up on the offer and he proceeded to the apartment, he took his friend and teammate Deshaun Elder with him. Elder later testified in court that he went to the apartment for the exact same reason as Atute. Apparently, Angie Renee had promised to perform oral sex on both of the young men. When the two did arrive at the apartment, though, the whole encounter just seemed odd. For starters, ESPN reported that Angie kept their face completely hidden and the apartment was nearly pitch dark. And Elder later testified in court that he was disturbed by the circumstances of the meeting and he grew increasingly uncomfortable while he was there. So he took out his phone and began pretending to text someone. Eventually, Elder decided to leave because he said he was feeling scared and initially Atute followed him out of the apartment too. However, Atute turned around and went back inside. At that point, Elder said he called another one of their friends to see what he should do, and the friend reportedly told him to go back and get Atute because it could be a dangerous situation. So, Elder went back, screaming for him outside of the apartment door. Elder testified, quote, I told him he was dumb, end quote. Elder also said he told Atute that he better get checked out in two weeks because he might have contracted an STD. According to court testimony, Atute left the apartment afterward and blocked the number that belonged to Angie, but not before Angie gave Atute $50 after performing oral sex on him that night. At that point, though, regardless of how odd or awkward the whole thing seemed to be, Atute was still under the impression that Angie was a woman, which the Tinder profile described her to be. A couple weeks later, though, Atute went home to Virginia Beach for a short break, and while there, he told a friend about his strange Tinder hookup. His friend told him that the whole thing with this Angie Renee person seemed super sketchy, and he encouraged Atute to find out if she was really a he, because that's what it sounded like to him. And some of Atute's teammates at Virginia Tech also got that same vibe. According to an article by David M. Hale and Tanya Simpson for ESPN, some of Atute's teammates later began teasing him that his sexual partner could have been a man. They were giving him a hard time because Atute's Tinder profile has a gender filter indicating he's only interested in females and his sexual orientation is clearly set to straight. So, if Angie Renee was a man, then Atute had essentially been catfished to the extreme. Okay, so spoiler alert, if you haven't figured it out by now, or side googed because you couldn't take the suspense any longer, but yes, the person behind the profile of Angie Renee was indeed a man. His name was Jerry Paul Smith, and he was not 28 years old as the profile claimed him to be. And Smith was a 40-year-old gay man who was matching with young men on Tinder under false pretenses presenting himself as a woman so he could hook up with young, straight, college-aged men, which is, by all accounts, predatory behavior. 
He was not transgender, meaning he was not a man transitioning into being a woman, which is completely different than being a gay man. Y'all, he was literally tricking straight men into having sex with him, deceiving them into having intimate relations for his own sexual gratification, which is a form of sexual assault. So, I just wanted to lay all that out there on the table before we proceed. Anyway, moving on. So, now that we know a little more context behind this story, let's talk about how Atute ultimately discovered that he was being deceived by Smith, aka Angie Renee. In total, Atute had two encounters with Smith. The first time was April 10th when they met up at Smith's apartment after their initial Tinder match. After that, Smith continued to message Atute, and Atute told police, quote, The number just kept texting me. Actually, they reached out to me because they keep texting me, end quote. But on May 31st, 2021, Atute received a message from Smith encouraging him to, quote, put in a good word, end quote, with one of Atute's teammates. That teammate was Jalen Hampton, who had also connected with the Angie Renee profile on Tinder. Apparently, Hampton, too, went to Smith's apartment expecting a sexual encounter with a woman, but Hampton decided to leave because he felt extremely uncomfortable. That same day, then, on May 31st, is when Smith reached out to Atute, but at the time, Atute had no idea Smith and Hampton had matched on Tinder. That is, until Hampton also reached out to Atute that day and told him about his own weird and uncomfortable encounter with Smith. After that, the young men decided they needed to figure out exactly who this Angie Renee person was. So Atute, Hampton, and a third teammate, Jordan Brunson, hashed out a plan to return to Smith's apartment and determine Smith's gender once and for all. According to court testimony, this was their plan. Now, remember, (laughs) these are 18-year-old young adults. I would call them kids, but because they are 18, I guess I technically have to refer to them as adults. But just think about the action plans that you and your friends came up with at 18 years old. You know, all the harebrained ideas that got tossed around. Anyway, the three teammates decided they would all go to Smith's apartment, whom at this point they still thought was a woman, Angie Renee. They decided that Atute would go into the apartment, and when the sexual encounter was initiated... Atute would use his cell phone flashlight to shine in Smith's face to ultimately reveal whether Angie Renee was a man or a woman. ESPN reported that Atute later testified if Smith was a woman, then he figured another sexual experience might occur. But if Smith was a man, his plan was to run out as fast as he could and flee the apartment. Meanwhile, his two friends would wait outside to help him escape, I guess? (laughs) or they were there for moral support, you know, what friends do. Anyway, that was their plan. So let's discuss what actually happened when Atute entered Smith's apartment that day. The Collegiate Times, Virginia Tech student newspaper, reported that when the three young men entered the apartment complex, all three can be seen on security camera footage, and both Hampton and Brunson, Atute's friends who went with him, can be seen waiting outside of Smith's apartment in the hallway after Atute went inside. Brunson testified in court, quote, If anything happens, I told him to run and walk out. I was worried about his safety, and I felt there was something wrong. Prior to going up there, Izzy got a text saying, come up alone, end quote. Um, also, just FYI, um, Izzy is what they call Issa Memen Atute, so they call him Izzy for short. 
And Brunson also testified that the three friends' so-called plan, or whatever, never once involved any form of violence. And actually, Hampton testified that part of their plan was for Atute to yell for help if he got in trouble. So, Atute proceeded to go inside as his friends waited for him to come back out. ESPN reported that Atute engaged with Smith on a bed. Atute testified that Smith, or Angie Renee, tried to perform oral sex on him, but he said no. Atute then began to fill around as he used his cell phone flashlight to determine if Smith was a woman or a man. Atute testified that something didn't quite feel right, and at that point, Smith bent over the bed and Atute reportedly pulled back his hoodie and used the light on his phone to determine that Angie Renee was indeed a man. Atute asked Smith, quote, why didn't you tell me you were a dude, end quote. And Smith reportedly said, quote, I'm not a dude, end quote, before he quickly groped Atute's crotch and reached for something that was on the left side of the bed. When Smith did grab Atute's genitals, though, Atute's instinctual reaction was to strike Smith in the face with the back of his hand, according to ESPN. Atute testified that he thought Smith was reaching for a weapon, such as a gun or something, and he immediately became fearful, which caused him to strike Smith with his fist several more times. Atute testified, quote, I felt violated. I felt shocked and in disbelief that someone would trick me and lie to me, end quote. After the physical altercation, Atute ran out of the apartment as fast as he could, wearing flip-flops, I might add, so I'm not sure exactly how fast he could actually run, but when he got back to his friends in the hallway, he was crying and overcome with emotion from everything that had just happened. The next day, on June 1st, Smith's brother, John, tried to call him several times, but he never got an answer. John testified in court that he knew something was wrong because his brother always picked up the phone or at least called him back. So John went to his brother's apartment to check on him and he found his brother dead, lying on the floor. According to a piece by Gene Wong for the Washington Post, Blacksburg police then responded to a welfare check at Smith's apartment around 10.30 p.m. on June 1st after his brother had flagged down police to tell them what he had discovered. Police found Smith deceased, which was soon determined to have occurred the night before on May 31st. According to WFXR, a medical examiner in Roanoke, Dr. Amy Tharp, determined Smith's cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head and she ruled it a homicide. However, in court, she later testified that his death also was in part from Smith inhaling his own blood, which created a frothy liquid in his mouth. So, police had to get to work to figure out who was responsible for the homicide, and it didn't take them long before they were led to a tute. According to a press release by the Blacksburg Police Department, which was released on June 2, 2021, a tute was quickly identified as a person of interest and later charged with second-degree murder. But I want to go over the specifics of the police's initial interview with a tute. When they called him in on June 2nd, Atute was interviewed by Detective Ryan Height, the lead investigator, and as they got started, Atute told him, quote, I'm going to be completely honest with you because when I get nervous, I start to stutter, end quote. And honest he was. Investigators asked him if he knew why he was brought into the station for questioning. He replied, quote, I met a person named Angie on Tinder. Then I went to the apartment. It was dark, but I said, fuck it. And that's what I did, end quote. Atute went on to tell police, basically, exactly what happened, or at the very least, exactly what he remembered happening, because 
Y'all, Atute was only inside Smith's apartment that second time for maybe a total of three minutes. Atute even admitted to police that he hit Smith several times in the face. According to court documents, Atute told police that he punched Smith five times in the face. Then, as he was fleeing the apartment, he kicked Smith in the face to gain time to escape the apartment after Smith had fallen to the ground from the punches. Atute later testified that Smith was still breathing when he left the apartment, but the prosecution would later argue that Atute purposely stomped on Smith's face out of rage and then took off. Regardless, Atute also opened up to police and told them exactly how he and Smith had met on Tinder, how Smith had portrayed himself as a woman, how he and his friends came up with a plan to find out Smith's biological sex. All of it. He told them about the sexual encounters, everything, and he did so without an attorney present, by the way. Y'all, he was being so brutally honest with police that they told Atute during the interview, quote, you are not a bad person, end quote. They also told him on multiple occasions throughout the interview that they believed he was a good person and never had any intentions of physically harming Smith. Mind you, at this point, Atute had no idea that Smith had died, let alone that he was being charged with Smith's murder. So, near the end of the interview, police broke the news to him. They asked him what he thought ended up happening to Smith after he beat him up. Atute responded to their question and told them that he honestly did not know. Then, they proceeded to tell him that Smith had died, and Atute immediately broke down, both physically and emotionally, after hearing the news as he began to sob uncontrollably with his head in his hands. After the initial interview, Atute was officially arrested and held in the Montgomery County Jail without bond, but he was released a few days later on a $75,000 secured bond. However, Atute's status as a Virginia Tech student and football player came to an immediate halt. A press release from Virginia Tech dated June 2, 2021, announced that Atute was placed on immediate interim suspension from school, and he was immediately suspended as a member of the Virginia Tech football team as well. As far as legal ramifications go, the Washington Post reported that he was placed under house arrest with electronic monitoring, which means he was ordered to stay at his parents' home in Virginia Beach. As part of that order, he was prohibited from going back to Montgomery County, where Blacksburg is located, except to attend court proceedings or to consult with his attorney. Speaking of attorney, Atute was connected with Jimmy Turk, whom an article in the Virginian Pilot referred to as one of the most recognized and respected defense attorneys in Southwest Virginia. Also, according to that article, Turk often represents athletes at Virginia Tech, and he didn't waste any time getting to work on Atute's case. He even released a statement after Atute was arrested, saying, quote, Nobody deserves to die, but I don't mind saying, don't pretend you are something that you are not. Don't target or lure anyone under that perception. That's just wrong, end quote. Shortly after Atute's arrest, the medical examiner released a full report of Smith's homicide. The autopsy report indicated that nearly all of the bones in Smith's face had been broken. Some teeth fragments were missing, and he also suffered cranial fractures and bleeding of the brain. Police also processed the crime scene at Smith's apartment, and they ended up finding a knife between the mattress and box spring of Smith's bed. Though Atute later testified that he never actually saw the knife, he said he did see Smith reaching for something, which is why he panicked and hit him several times. Now, before I fast forward to the murder trial, I do want to speak a little bit about the gay panic defense. 
ESPN described this defense as a way for a defendant accused of homicide to receive a lesser sentence by saying they panicked after finding out the victim's sexual orientation or gender identity. On July 1, 2021, a little over a month after Smith's death, Virginia passed a bill restricting the use of the gay panic defense, but the judge in Atute's case ruled that the new legislation did not apply to his case because it was enacted after the incident took place. Regardless, it honestly didn't matter, though, because that is not the defense Atute and his lawyer were going for. Nope. Instead, they focused on what Atute had basically been hinting at from the moment he sat down to interview with police. Self-defense. And that brings us to Atute's trial for the second-degree murder charge, which actually took place just last month, so it is a very, very fresh case. It started on May 25, 2022, and lasted for three days. During the trial, all of the evidence I have already told you was brought to light, and Atute even testified in his own defense, telling the jury the exact same thing he told police the night he was interviewed without his lawyer present. Turk, his lawyer, was so confident in that initial interview that the defense actually played a 45-minute video recording of it to begin day two of the trial. But that's jumping ahead a bit, so let's start from day one. The jury was comprised of nine women and four men, with one being an alternate. CBS News reported that, essentially, the prosecution argued Atute became enraged and fatally beat Smith when he discovered Smith was a man. They also claimed that Atute gave a different version of events to police and the jury, and that when he was indicted on a second-degree murder charge, it was enough for him to change his testimony. Their point was that in the initial interview with police, Atute never mentioned a weapon or the fact that Smith was reaching for something. The prosecution also focused on Atute's size compared to Smith's, pointing out that Atute was a Division I athlete, 6 feet 3 inches tall and over 200 pounds, compared to Smith's frame of 153 pounds. Ultimately, the prosecution maintained it was not self-defense because after Atute punched Smith those five times initially and he fell to the floor, there was no way Smith could have reached for a weapon under the mattress. Prosecutors also painted a picture of the crime scene for the jury, and they called forensic detective Mike Chernicki to the stand. Chernicki discussed the blood spatter found on the walls, floors, and hallway of Smith's apartment. Apparently, a lot of the blood on the walls came from aspiration spatter, as in Smith was trying to breathe or even possibly sneeze after he was punched by a tute and after a tute left. Jernicki also spoke about finding impact bloodstains on the floor underneath where Smith was lying, which came from a flat object striking Smith in the face. Remember how I said Atute was wearing flip-flops that day? I'm assuming that flat object was from where Atute stepped on Smith as he was leaving. However, when the defense cross-examined Jernicki, he admitted that his findings show that the whole assault lasted only a few seconds which adds up because Atute was only inside the apartment for about three minutes. Chernicki also said that the blows Atute delivered to Smith were considered medium velocity, which brings me to another witness who took the stand, Dr. Amy Tharp, the medical examiner. Tharp, of course, testified about the autopsy findings and Smith's official cause and manner of death, blunt force trauma to the head, and in part from inhaling his own blood. But she also pointed out something interesting that it is rare to die from a fist fight, particularly one that involves medium-velocity punches. 
She said she has performed over 3,000 autopsies in her career and has only seen about 10 people die from a fist fight. Also, at some point during the trial, another interesting thing was revealed, which was that Smith never actually fought back as Atute was hitting him. Instead, Atute testified that Smith attempted to swat Atute away with his hands. Throughout the trial, Atute's defense team maintained self-defense and they were able to provide reasoning for all of the prosecution's arguments. In fact, Turk even called Atute's actions reasonable because Smith lied, pretending to be someone he was not. The defense also hung tight to the notion that their argument was direct and truthful compared to the prosecution's circumstantial evidence. Regarding Atute not telling police about the weapon, ultimately the knife, but at the time, what Atute thought could have very well been a gun, Turk pointed out that police never specifically asked Atute essential questions about it. They never asked whether or not he feared for his life and was acting in self-defense, or if a weapon was or could have been involved at all. And Atute himself addressed this on the stand as well. He said the reason he did not talk about Smith reaching for a weapon in his initial interview with police was because he was extremely emotional and honestly not himself that day. Atute testified, quote, I didn't say a word. I could not speak. I didn't speak for a long time, end quote. He said that, after the incident, he had to drive up to the mountains to be by himself because he was never the same after it happened. And Atute's friends and teammates also backed up that statement. For example, Deshaun Elder, the one who initially went to Smith's apartment with Atute when the first sexual encounter occurred, he testified that after the incident on May 31st, he saw Atute sitting in the parking lot later that day. Elder testified that Atute refused to talk and he wasn't his normal, happy self. Elder said, quote, he seemed broken. It's like everything in him was just shattered, end quote. According to the reporting of Kelsey Jean-Baptiste for WFXR, the defense also argued that Smith specifically targeted young black males for his own sexual gratification, calling Smith a sexual predator. And y'all, guess what? You know the Angie Renee persona that Smith was using to allegedly prey on these young men? Well, she is a real person. According to the defense, Smith stole photographs of the real Angie Renee, who is a Virginia Tech graduate, and he used them as his own. That's right, a 40-year-old man was using pictures of a 28-year-old real woman without that woman's permission in effort to sexually hook up with young, straight men. The prosecution wrapped up their closing argument by giving the jury members some instructions. The prosecuting attorney, Patrick Jensen, said, quote, if you believe from the evidence what he told police on June 2nd as being true, then you should find him guilty of second-degree murder, end quote. Jensen argued that Atute beat Smith to death and he did so with malice, which is a crucial piece of information that negates self-defense. However, Jensen told the jurors, if they don't believe it was second-degree murder, then they should at the very least convict him of voluntary manslaughter. The defense's closing argument was a little more passionate and expressive. In fact, Jimmy Turk delivered his closing argument with tears in his eyes as he thanked the jury for being patient with him and told them he is an emotional person. He focused on how Smith cheated Atute into engaging in a sexual act. He then started crying as he discussed how Atute and his friends were completely normal young men before the incident, emphasizing how Atute has been completely honest and truthful the whole time. Turk said, quote, 
If I had a son, I would want him to be exactly like a Tutte, end quote. Finally, Turk addressed a Tutte's size that the defense had been so focused on. He pointed out that Smith was covered from head to toe, and Atute had no way of knowing how big or small-framed Smith was. Turk also argued that Smith basically controlled the whole environment, insisting it be dark inside the apartment and covering his face. After closing arguments ended at around 3 p.m. on Friday, May 27th, the jury deliberated for about three hours before returning a verdict at about 6.30 p.m., the jury found Issamem and Atute not guilty of second-degree murder or voluntary manslaughter. ESPN reported that Atute collapsed in tears as the verdict was read, and cheers erupted in the courtroom from at least 30 of Atute's family members, supporters, and teammates. Afterward, Atute's attorney, Jimmy Turk, addressed the media. He said, quote, This is one of the proudest moments I've ever had as a lawyer, being allowed to represent somebody like Issy Atute. End quote. He went on to say, quote, I think he's earned the right to go back to school and further his academic and sports career. I think the school that ends up taking him is going to get probably a lot wiser and a much smarter and an exceptional athlete. End quote. Atute did not speak with reporters or media after the trial ended. Instead, he and his family said they were celebrating the verdict and that they will speak in public at a later time. So, before I wrap up this episode, I want to circle back around to my comments at the very beginning. I mentioned that I'm not sure justice was actually served, so I want to take the time to clarify that a bit. I mean, clearly, justice was served because there was a jury trial and a unanimous verdict. In the eyes of the law, that is technically justice. And honestly, if I were in a Tute situation, I'm not sure how I would have reacted, especially if I did feel like somebody was about to threaten me with a weapon. I mean, I'm sure I would fight for my life and get out of there as quickly as possible, which appears to be what he did. But what I was referring to is that I'm honestly not sure why the jury didn't find a two-take guilty of voluntary or, heck, even involuntary manslaughter. I mean, regardless of the situation and regardless of his intentions, at the end of the day, Issamem and Atute did take the life of Jerry Smith, self-defense or not. I just feel like there should be consequences for that, even if he did not intentionally murder or, according to him, plan to even attack or use violence against Smith. The sentence for second-degree murder in Virginia is 5 to 40 years. I'm not sure that he deserves that much, but voluntary manslaughter carries a sentence of 1 to 10 years, and or a $2,500 fine. I guess I'm just saying that if one man can go to prison for espionage and lying about taxes, if you didn't catch that plug, <laughs> I'm referring to the episode I did over Harvard professor Charles Lieber a few episodes ago. But I'm just saying, if he can go to prison for that, shouldn't another man go to prison for literally taking the life of another human being with his bare hands, I should add? I don't know. Atute was and is young, and of course I feel for him because of that, but it's a very complicated case and situation, and to me it just shows how inconsistent and flawed the U.S. justice system can be. In a way, I'm just glad I wasn't on the jury, because I can't imagine how difficult that decision must have been to ultimately acquit Atute of the charges. Even Atute's lawyer himself, Jimmy Turk, said he was honestly surprised by the verdict because it's tough to predict what 12 people will decide. 
but I guess in the end, we are left to consider it an act of self-defense, which is clearly what the jury was convinced of. Okay, y'all, that officially brings us to the end of Chronicle 33. As always, be sure to check out my social media, where I always post photos associated with each episode. You can find me at Campus Crime Podcast on Instagram and Campus Crime Chronicles on Facebook. You can reach me by email at campuscrimepodcast at gmail.com. And I officially have a TikTok, so you can also check me out on there and find some campus crime stories that you may or may not have heard of before. Okay, well, that's all for today, so bye for now. Campus Crime Chronicles is researched, written, and recorded by me, Nicole Turner, and it's edited and produced by Giari Gassaway. The cover art and logos for this podcast were designed by Brady Burns. Tune in again in two weeks for the next Chronicle.